Previously on Ugly Betty. The ruins are known as the Avenue of Sphinxes. No, I didn't say sphincters. Get your mind out of the gutter. Lubbock is the 11th most populous city in the U.S. state of Texas. The guy seems all jacked up and he's like, I didn't want to do this. <laughs> Iran Contra is objective fact. Avril Lavigne replaced. Greta Thunberg is a time traveler. Um, Michael Jackson's still alive. Elvis is still alive. Kylie Jenner is a clone. Prince Charles is a vampire. All of a sudden, we don't have laws. What do we do? What do we do? Ah! The, the, the government's collapsing. Ah! People of Earth. How are you? Oh, Christian! Oh, Christian! It's your buddy, Kato Kalen. I know about the Society Show. I love it, that podcast. is the best. Every war oh, fought no, no, starts no. with a false flag operation. Hey now. Hey now. Broadcasting live to tape across the nation and the world from the Lorena Bobbitt Theater in one of the most exciting cities in King County, beautiful North Seattle. It's the podcast for a world gone mad. This is The Society Show. And now, your host, the next Crown Prince of Dubai, Christian Patterson. Wow. Tim Apple, Tim Apple, Tim Apple. Hello and welcome to the Society Show. Do you believe in society's laws? My name is Christian. I am joined by a third time returning guest. Please welcome Izzy to the show. Hey. Wow, I'm honored three times. <laughs> yes, and um, so we do have some stuff we are going to talk about. We are going to talk about the supply chain shortage. I need to make some extra money for the boys' Christmas presents, otherwise I'll have to sell my boat. Tom, I didn't know you were such a boatsman. We are going to talk about like the news stories about shoplifting that have been going on right now. You wear the shadows well, fellow thief. Um, and we are also going to talk about X-Files. Because we've been watching that. But first... But first, but first, but first, but first, but first, but first. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about, and I, I didn't really prep you to talk about this, but I do think it's pretty interesting. So last night, uh, we were at my dad's house and he had his TV on like the screensaver mode or whatever. And one of the headlines that kept coming up was that the U.S. has over, has like over a billion dollars in Bitcoin. Stocks, gold, real estate, and ETFs. Everyone's talking about that. But what about the forgotten child? 
cryptocurrency that they seized when the Silk Road closed. And for one, like, I wanted to talk about this for a couple of things because one, like, how did they have that much money just like undisclosed until now? And the but the other thing is like that makes the U.S. government one of the biggest investors in Bitcoin. So like. They all the bad things about Bitcoin they're like ostensibly contributing to, and they also have like an invested interest in like preserving Bitcoin. Whereas before we thought of it as like, oh, like governments would probably try to like clamp down on Bitcoin. But, um, do you have any thoughts on this like enormous wealth of the U.S. government that uh is in the form of Bitcoin? Well, it's just weird i guess because i i mean i guess i don't have like a super good understanding of bitcoin i've kind of like tuned that out a little bit but i do think i feel like part of the point of bitcoin is to be outside of like the u.s like government and like the u.s like economy so it is just like surprising that like the u.s is like invested in it yeah there's uh it really like undercuts a lot of the the things about Bitcoin that people brag about. I mean, it's just in general becoming more institutionalized. Like, uh, did you hear about how uh, Jack Dorsey, how he quit Twitter? Um, He was actually, like, going... He still is the CEO of Square, the money processing company, but he's changing the name to Block, and it's becoming more like Bitcoin oriented. What? I did not hear about that. I didn't I didn't even know that about Square and like Twitter or like that he owned both of those. Well, he didn't own he was the CEO. So like they are publicly owned and ostensibly he owns like a lot of them. But yeah. And his CEO ship of both was like unrelated. Yeah, that's just crazy though, because like yeah, I guess I, I just don't I never took bitcoin seriously personally because it just seemed goofy to me but like now it seems like it is like more of a thing like when we took our dog to that doggy daycare they like accepted like doge coins (laughs) (laughs) and i was like that was like the first i'd ever like heard of that (laughs) yeah and then well just to like give an update to last week's episode we talked about this a little bit last week because el salvador is the first country that made um bitcoin legal tender and the weird thing about that is they didn't have their own money before that they basically just used the u.s dollar and um the president of el salvador he's basically like a frat bro like douchebag (laughs) type and um he's trying to like create a bitcoin city that's like powered by a nearby volcano that literally sounds like my hell oh my god (laughs) (laughs) that's just like so like tech bro like on like like to the maximum (laughs) my mission is simple to make you money I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. But yeah, so I do want to transition to uh, talking about the supply chain. So like, you work tangentially in the supply chain, not at like a port, but like something that like uses the ports a lot. And uh, so before we get into it, like, 
because I've kind of been on a quest to figure out what is actually causing it, and we'll get into that, but, like, what insight do you have into the supply chain? Um, I guess, well, like, I work, I work in production for a company, which is, like, it, it is related to, like, the import, the importing part of it. Um, it's just been really, it's been really crazy for, like, the past, like, probably since like mid-September um and I I know like one day I just like came into work and they were just like freaking out because like suddenly you know shipping containers which used to be like so everything ships in like a shipping container like a 40-foot container those used to be like I don't know like two to like three thousand ish dollars to ship um during COVID that went up to like six thousand ish dollars, six thousand to ten thousand dollars per container, which is pretty bad. Um, and then suddenly it was like people were paying like fifteen to twenty thousand dollars a container, like overnight. Um, it was just like a really big um just a huge increase and it was just like unprecedented. Um so I guess I don't know, my my relation to it is just like that it's just kind of like what I deal with at my job. Um, but it is just like crazy how uh how much this has just like affected everything yeah so what do you think caused the shipping containers to get more expensive um i think it's a lot of things but i think that like covid has really uh shown like the cracks in like our like supply chain system you know um and i think especially like labor is a big part of it um i know like this started in china like right around the time when they had to um close down like the ningbo port for like a because one one employee had um had covid um so they they just shut down the entire port for like a week or so um and then i think um but i think in general like a lot less people like want to work these like kind of like shitty jobs like in um in like you know shipping and stuff and also like receiving i mean i think this is another issue but i know in the u.s like we have like a serious shortage of like truckers right now because um people don't want to uh they don't, you know, they don't want to be doing that anymore. So I think labor is like a big part of it. But I do know, like, I think it is like, it is like a really like multifaceted thing. But that's probably the part that like, I've noticed the most. Yeah. So when I read about it, you know, most reports, you know, they mention COVID. Mm-hmm. And they mention a shortage of jobs being filled. But a lot of American press, I feel like is very u.s centric i mean that's pretty patently obvious but when it comes to this i feel like um they just present it as like well everyone had covid and no one wants to work which is very um a truth limited to the u.s like and they don't even get into like how exactly does covid um like cause the backups like the shipping containers make sense but in the press they never get into that yeah and i i've been thinking about that a lot lately because it's like yeah covid did cause a lot of people to lose their jobs 
you know, work. I mean, this is in the U.S. Actually, no, this is this is in Asia, too. Like, I know in, like, China and India, a lot of people lost their jobs with COVID, you know, moved back, like, with their families, like, in the country. But then now that those jobs have, like, started back up again, I know less people are wanting to do them. But it's, I don't know, it's, it's like, I, there's, there has to be something else there. Because it's, like, people have to make money, you know? Um, but maybe it's, like, I mean, I know in the U.S., I think maybe people are seeing that, um, they were getting like unemployment benefits. Like I was making more money during COVID not working than I was working. And like, I think maybe people don't want to go back to their like, you know, you know, $8 an hour job. I think part of the kind of incomplete reporting or like the way the U.S. reports on it, since it is so U.S. centric, you know, they talk about that type of stuff, but it does seem like there's a lot more to it. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if part of the reason it's not reported on is because it kind of indicates that maybe the U.S. doesn't have such a, like, stranglehold on the, like, global supply chain as they used to. Like, a lot of these problems are starting before they even get to the U.S. And, like, the U.S. of, like, the 70s through the, like, 2000s would have had a, a much, like, tighter grip on how the global supply chain is functioning. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, I don't think they know at all what to do. This has been going on for, like, three months now, and, like, there really is no um, no end in sight. Uh, so I, I think, yeah, I think it's totally true that, like, the U.S. is, like, not as big of a, like, powerhouse as like we're used to being um so I guess I, I think I think things aren't ever going to like go back to like exactly how they used to be you know mm-hmm. yeah it makes me wonder like what'll be the U.S.'s Suez crisis moment remember when we talked about that refresh me so like after World War II Egypt tried to nationalize the Suez Canal oh, yeah. and then England and France tried to like lead an intervention to be like, no, this is ours. And it failed really poorly. And both the US and USSR were like, that's not a good idea. We don't support this. And it embarrassed England and France, but especially England. And that scene is like the turning point where like England isn't really a global superpower the way it used to be. <laughs> yeah. And like, what is going to be the US's version of that? Because I feel like in some ways, COVID kind of is. Yeah, I would say it kind of, I mean, it definitely is. I think because like, like I was saying, like, I feel like COVID has just shown like, just like the cracks in our system, like so well, you know, like, I, I think, um, I mean, I like, I think everyone knows, like, like, obviously, things just aren't going to go back to the way they were before. But I, I am like, curious to see, like, labor wise, like what's going to happen. Because like, it just seems like right now, like, you keep hearing that, like, I, I, I know, I see, like, jobs are hiring everywhere right now. But I'm like, and people aren't taking like, you know, low wage jobs, supposedly like as much anymore. But I'm like, where are they going? What are they doing? Like, what are their jobs? Like, because they, they have, you have to work. So. Yeah, it's really hard to say. Um, 
yeah i'm still not sure how to make sense of that um yeah that's another thing i'll just have to like explore on the show because like Maybe I'll try to find someone who's, like, a labor expert or something. Yeah, I mean, maybe we're just, like, too much in the weeds of it right now. And, like, one thing that doesn't really get talked about either is, like, how many people have, like, died of COVID, you know? Mm -hmm. And, like, that obviously is, like, going to affect how many people can work. But it is just, like, strange to me. I feel like such a disconnect of just, like, them saying there are so many jobs, but people aren't taking them. But also, I know people are having a hard time getting jobs anyways, because you hear yes. that all the time, too. So I just feel like there's just, like, a lot of uncertainty right now. The gentle laborer shall no longer suffer from the noxious greed of Mr. Krabs. That brings me to um, New York Times uh, had an article about a week ago now, maybe a little more, but... It was about how um, small businesses are hoarding their inventory because of the supply chain issues. And I wanted to talk about that. They talked to some like lady who owned a shoe store who was like hoarding shoes and some other people. And like, I don't know how much this is a trend. Um, the article made it seem like it definitely is. But that made me think like, oh, well, like hoarding supplies solves the like consumer side like there'll be less like middle class suburban people outraged that they don't have all their like goodies to buy on demand at any time but I also feel like it's kind of a non-solution for like companies to be hoarding stuff that doesn't make sense to me for like a shoe company to be hoarding shoes because style changes you know like are you gonna be selling those same shoes in five years well the article was saying they usually stock okay i have some of it here it says they stock up with three thousand pairs of shoes ahead of the holiday season um but then this year they got four thousand one hundred and then they also said because this was in like new jersey or connecticut that um normally they would like get through the New York Marathon. I don't know when that is exactly. And they basically just be out of shoes and not really be restocking in January. So it's not like they're stockpiling for like years and years, but they are like hoarding inventory for longer. Um, Like, I mean, I don't Mm. think it makes a huge difference, but like, I just imagine, like, I know Amazon, like, the the way they do their stocking is very, like, on demand. Or not mm-hmm. necessarily on demand, but, like, it's very, like, we want this to sit in the shelves for as short as possible. And we, we ship out uh, preemptively what we know will be picked up or whatever. And it's like, well, if a company like Amazon or Walmart started hoarding, like, that would kind of completely change the way our, like, consumer supply lines work. Like, I don't, I just feel like something like this makes it easier for consumers, but I could see it having, like, so many other side effects. I also think in some ways this is kind of how we got into this problem in the first place. Like, because of COVID, like, people did start, like, buying in like new ways and like stockpiling a lot more like I remember like that was like a whole thing with like 
toilet paper and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know that that is like another thing people point to about like why we are in like such a situation of like, um, like the bottlenecking going on right now with like the supply chain. Yeah, absolutely. Japan. All that stuff came from Japan. It's a nice store, at least for alchemists. Related to that, and like, I didn't really plan on talking about this, but when I was looking for articles about the supply chain, it was like after Black Friday, and a lot of them were talking about Black Friday. And they were saying that... um, Black Friday shopping and Cyber Monday shopping were both down from... So, in-person shopping, it was higher than 2020 because of COVID. Oh, yeah. But it was still, like, quite a bit lower than the year before. I mean, like, maybe, like, a, a percentage or two, which doesn't seem like a lot. But considering the amount of money spent on Black Friday has literally always increased until 2020. Um, like, it does signify that... Um, Maybe Black Friday is becoming less of a thing. And also the fact that Cyber Monday didn't do particularly well either. That's a little shocking because you'd assume most of those people would be going to online shopping instead. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if this contributes to it, but I feel like from like the places I buy from online, like um, they were doing sales for like up to like two weeks before Black Friday. So I don't know if that's contributing to like their Black Friday numbers, but like I feel like everyone's like trying to like get ahead of each other in that. It was very like I've talked to you about this, but it felt very like desperate, like how many emails and texts and stuff I was getting just be like, shop Black Friday. So like I don't know if like it just it felt very heightened this year as far as like the marketing goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was reading that a lot of companies kind of got actually pretty wrecked. Like, the examples I saw was, like, Macy's was one of them. But there were several, like, bigger companies like that that, like, are now, like, potentially verging on, like, maybe not bankruptcy, but big financial issues because they were, like, banking so much on Black Friday. Yeah, I mean, I could see that for, like, Macy's and others department stores, because, like, it seems like that kind of, like, shopping is just kind of, like, it's on its way out. Like, I think, like, Target and, like, Walmart and, like, Amazon have kind of, like, taken the place of, like, what used to be our, like, department stores, you know? Mm-hmm. I think department stores used to rely so much on buying in person at the mall, and we just, like... Like, the idea of, like, going Black Friday shopping in a mall right now is, like, crazy to me. Like, it seems, like, old-fashioned, you know? Yeah. I know people still do it, but I don't think it's the same thing that it used to be. Because everything can be bought online. And places like Macy's, like, I don't think that they've been able to, like, bridge that gap to being, like, online like they were in person. Which makes sense. That's not their thing. Yeah. I I also think about, like, when I worked at the toy and board game store at the mall i work black friday and like the reality was the the deals we offered were like not very good or convenient like most of the people who were coming in were there because of the deals but they wouldn't even buy something on sale and i just wonder if it's like 
I feel like maybe people are realizing that, like, unless you have something really particular in mind and you know it's on sale, like, Black Friday isn't even that beneficial. Mm-hmm. I, I, and I also, I guess I also wonder where people's, like, spending money is right now, too. Like, I feel like I do keep hearing that, like, people have more disposable income than, like, they've had before, like, in America, but I'm, like, skeptical of that because, like, I do think it is, I mean, with, like, inflation and stuff, like, it's a really expensive time to live. So, like, I don't see people, I mean, I've, I've also, like, heard that, like, people aren't, like, Christmas shopping as much this year, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I will say the one thing that kind of, like, undercuts the, the like the ideas about Black Friday is there was more spending in October and November before Black Friday um so it's not like people just like aren't shopping mm-hmm. or something but like it is still kind of I don't know it just indicates like different trends I guess but the one thing the one website or store or whatever I could find that was bragging about how much money they made on Black Friday and and or Cyber Monday was Amazon, which is not really a shocker, but it does just reinforce the idea that, I mean, I think where we're going is Amazon will eventually function the way almost like a... Uh, in a centralized distributive economy, like, say, the Soviet Union, you know, they, like, nationalized all of the, like, kind of, like, food distribution and stuff. It is starting to feel like Amazon is just becoming that, but completely privatized and not, like, a government institution. Yeah, it's, like, it's, like, sorry to bother you, like how did we did you did we watch that together? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like how like there's like the company that like like all the people work for they like live in the like company town and like it's just like the one thing you know. Mm-hmm. I feel like we're just moving towards like like I mean like even like politically I feel like Amazon will have like more power than like the actual government does. Yeah, Amazon could probably greatly influence who ends up being president yeah of course like everything is so like i mean they're just it's just getting proved time and time again like if you have the power the money then like you can pretty much do whatever you want the amazon washington post going off of that i do want to um this was your idea to talk about and i think it's a good idea is um the amount of shoplifting news stories there's been about how, like, shoplifting is apparently blowing up. And uh, I actually found a pretty good article that I want to get into that explains why. But um, what are your thoughts on just how, like, basically universally all of a sudden the press is like, we have to do something about shoplifting? Yeah, I guess... It's funny to me because I I worked in retail for like, like, I don't currently work in retail, but I have worked in retail for a really, really long time. And obviously shoplifting is just like part of retail. Um, But this like panic over it, like, like I saw like this one news story that was like, oh, like 10 people like broke into a Home Depot and stole a bunch of stuff. It was like, and it was on CNN. And I'm like, that probably, like that kind of shit happens like 
every day. This is not national yes. news. This is like, this is, you know, who gives a shit? Honestly, like they'll be fine. Um, So I guess that really like piqued my interest because it seems like things were, um, these things are just normal, but why is it suddenly becoming like national news that people are shoplifting, you know? Yeah, in this article kind of explains why, because I, I mean, you've probably noticed this, but a lot of it, it of the reporting is oriented around shoplifting in San Francisco specifically. <laughs> I didn't know that, but oh my gosh. Um, yeah, so um, this article, it's by the San Francisco newspaper. Let me look up what it's called. Okay, so the newspaper is called the San Francisco Chronicle, and the headline was, I'm going to read a little bit from this article, actually. It was, uh, one target store, one huge spike in shoplifting reports. What does it mean for San Francisco? That's the headline. So I'm not going to read the whole article, but I did pick out some parts of it. So um, it opens as San Francisco remains locked in a fierce debate over how to best respond to crime. Shoplifting has become one flashpoint of the battle, but crime experts say the data required to accurately measure shoplifting is woefully inadequate. And just from that intro, I got it got me thinking, like, that's a good point, because I've never worked somewhere where you, like, report shoplifting. Maybe you're supposed to, but, like, I never have or was told, like, protocols. Like, I never filled out a form about a shoplifter or anything. Well, I will say the stores do report, like, shrinkage, like, the amount well, of... Well, yeah, true. So I think maybe that's what they're talking about. Yeah, so they get into it. So um, they they say starting in January 2018, reported shoplifting incidents are relatively consistent, about 250 per month. They dip sharply when the pandemic begins and then begin to slowly increase as the city reopens. And then in September 2021, so a few months ago, they inexplicably doubled. And then they explain it. It says, a closer look at the data shows that the spike in reported shoplifting came almost entirely from one store, the Target at 789 Mission Street in the Metreon Mall. In September alone, 154 shoplifting reports were filed from the South Market intersection where the Target stands. The The point is, like, the instigating incident for this becoming reported on so much was all of a sudden shoplifting skyrocketed in San Francisco. But it didn't even really skyrocket because almost all of these shoplifting incidences were attributed to one Target. Yeah, so they just started basically like recording it yeah so it said what happened at this particular target did the store see a huge spike in shoplifting no said store manager stacy abbott the store was simply using a new reporting system implemented by the police that allow retailers to report crime incidents over the phone 
When asked why the shoplifting reports had decreased again in October, Abbott said she wouldn't be able to answer any more questions and directed the Chronicle to the police department, which did not answer questions either. So it seems like basically the San Francisco Police Department rolled out this new thing for reporting shoplifting, and then they used it uh, like all the time the first month that they had it. And then basically employees just stopped using it. I mean, if you've worked, you know, that type of thing does happen where there's like some policy, but it's annoying and people don't like doing it. And eventually they just stop doing it. <laughs> yeah, they probably were like, you need to do this like really like intensely when they rolled it out and then kind of just like people just like tapered off you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly and so just a little more from this article um they talk about how they the california retailers association which has been really big on like um fear mongering about this they point to stores cutting their hours and company spokespeople saying that shoplifting and the need for security has increased so they basically just like a big part of it is they just like get told by store managers like oh we have to cut hours and there's more shoplifting like this is so bad so like they're very motivated by like anecdotal stuff (laughs) yeah and i i guess too like what they're talking about are they saying they have to cut hours because of the amount of shoplifting yeah well that's contradictory well, they're saying that there's more shoplifting because they have to cut employees. Yeah, and that actually, that's just like something I've been thinking about with all of this is that, and I've talked to you about, is I've noticed stores are moving towards having less like hired employees like at a time and doing things like having like like a lot more self-checkouts. Um, I've seen like even at like, the value village that I go to, like they have a self checkout now, but they also usually will have like a security guard too. And I feel like things are moving towards like, they don't want to have employees, like they don't want to pay for them, but they do want to have like more security guards, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, I think that to me, it just feels like there's like this, like move towards having like policing being in like everyday life, like all the time, you know, that like, that's like part of, um, And so I kind of feel like maybe this like fear mongering about shoplifting is just like another way of like kind of like establishing like we need like police or like security presence in our stores. Yeah. Rather than hire more employees. So like they have more eyes on the floor or whatever. I don't think they really I don't think they really care about like the actual like shoplifting. Like how like they probably are losing money. But like that's just part of like owning a retail establishment. Yeah. It's so, it's just like the fear mongering about it. It's just like, it feels so, um, there's something else going on there, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it is like the, the future that they're like wanting to work towards is they basically like build the world you interact with and it's seamless. No one has to work to, uh, um, like fulfill the needs in the world, you'll just be like heavily surveilled while you're doing all of it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But yeah, I guess the main takeaway I want to emphasize about that is just the fact that 
all of this reporting, like whether it's like whether there's more shoplifting now, less, um, whether it's being kept track of more or less, like ultimately uh, this whole like media um, thing all comes down to basically the fact that the police gave one target this new technology to report shoplifting and they did it for a month and then stopped and that is basically created an entire news cycle yeah that's just like psycho i i i mean i've been seeing this like maybe this has always gone on but i've just noticed so much lately how much like the news just like doesn't like do it's like legwork like it just like it gets like one thing like they hear oh shoplifting has increased and then it becomes like a media frenzy but it's like if you look a little bit deeper into this like not even that much deeper you'll see like what you were just talking about like that this is like one target you know and it has to do with like a police so i mean it, it almost feels like it almost feels like they're just doing the pol- they're like the police is like PR basically pretty much it's like they don't even try to hide the fact that the things they report are basically like regurgitating press releases from like police or um I don't know maybe sometimes like think tanks or straight from like the Democrats or Republicans like they it really does feel like mainstream media is literally just like reading press releases exactly it's weird it it's like in this time when we've been talking about like defunding the police and there's been like a lot of pushback against like policing it just seems like in a lot of ways right now like that's just getting stronger and stronger like i feel like police are like a whole nother like class of people now and like i don't like it's really scary like i feel like um surveillance and that kind of stuff is just kind of, it's just been like a regular part of life now you know yeah it definitely is and you've been reported to the cyber police and the state police consequences will never be the same on that note um i was wondering um if you wanted to close with something a little uh, softer, I guess. Um, we have been watching X-Files. And at this point, we've only seen the first two seasons. And then the first two episodes of the third season. I wanted to talk about it for a few reasons. But before we get into that, like, what do you think of the show? Yeah, I mean, I really like it. It's not my most, like, favorite show I've ever seen. But, like, as far as, like, it, it's just, it's just fun. Because, like, there there's, epi- I like how there's, like, episodes that are good. And then there will be an episode that's bad. But and then another one that's good. And then another one's bad. But, like, overall, like, they still, um, it still is, like, you know, you want to keep watching. And I am, like, interested in how, I guess, I'm really surprised by how, like, critical it is of, like, our government. That was not something I was expecting. Yeah, that's kind of part of what I wanted to highlight is, like, I don't think the show could ever be made again for a lot of reasons. And, like, one of the main reasons is just purely, like, based on the structure where, like, they would never make a, like, 
nine season show with 25 episodes a season (laughs) ever again no like no one that would just not exist anymore i mean Uh, i think that's why there's so many like episodes like there's so many throwaway episodes you know yeah but that's like how tv used to be exactly yeah and even tv that came after it that was in the same vein like i think of lost like lost well, like, some of the seasons were on the longer side, but, like, I think the first two seasons were, like, 20-ish episodes, but then, like, there was, like, after that, they were, like, 12 or 16 or something like that. Like, they were all kind of short, and I just think, like, it, like... At the time, no one realized, like, oh, this is, like, the twilight of, like very long seasons of shows that go on forever um that you just keep going like i don't even think people like realize that went away until recently but like now it's like you get one season that's like four episodes <laughs> yeah like succession's like eight episodes i think we waited <laughs> yeah. like two years for this <laughs> yeah yeah and then the other thing that they would never be able to pull off is like how critical like you said of the government it is because a lot of the plot on a lot of episodes is basically like they're dealing with something supernatural but then the reveal is either that that supernatural thing is actually natural and it's um being like orchestrated by the u.s government or the u.s government is like utilizing a supernatural thing um for their own goals but like it will never just be revealed that like oh you know it really was like it was just aliens acting by themselves. It's they're always like in collaboration with the government or being like used by the government or something. Yeah, definitely. And I think as the show goes on too, like I mean, we're only in like the beginning of season three. You can see how. I mean, I don't know where it's gonna go, but like I feel like that plot of like the government being um like behind everything has only gotten like stronger and stronger. Yeah, and it's also interesting how the villain of the show, the smoking man, is in any, like, conventional measure, he's just a symbol of the deep state. <laughs> yeah, Like, exactly. he's just personified the deep state. Yeah, exactly. And it, that brings me back to another thing um, f- that I talked about last episode. Is like I was talking about this conspiracy graph where it was like from mo- most likely to have happened oh, at I the bottom, that. yeah, to the top. And in the top, I mean, I had a lot of issues with that graph, and I talked about that on that episode. But one thing is in the like point of no return, anti-Semitic, um, blah 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 section they included just the idea of a deep state and um i would say that like there's certainly ways that's used with like anti-semitic or like far-right implications but like to deny like you can think of it and the way i was describing it is like a perpetual state like the elements of the state that perpetually exist no matter who's like elected 
corrupted. Mm-hmm. And right. and like maybe that's like a less conspiratorial way to look at it, but like to deny that there's a deep state and to like smear it as anti-Semitic, like that seems insane to me. Yeah, like I mean, like it's 2021. I feel like I mean even just, like, the fact that we, like, know about, like, Jeffrey Epstein, like, shows that there is, like, a deep state, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, because he was, like, hanging out with, like, Bill Clinton and Donald Trump, you know? And, like, who knows who else? Yeah, definitely. And that's just one little tiny element. Like, that's just, like, a little teeny tiny piece of it. You know, there's so much more. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean... In in a lot of ways, X Files not just the smoking man being the deep state, but like the whole show is kind of predicated on like they're FBI agents, but you're not really sure why. <laughs> yeah, and, and the deep state or like these elements of the state that are like it seems like on one hand, oh, they're only employed so they can keep track of them. But like, sometimes they send them on like wild goose chases. And I guess my point is like, even though they're FBI agents, the FBI is still like majorly a villain in the show. And not only that, but basically every other government agency is also a villain on the show. Yeah, pretty much every other person they've worked with in the FBI, like with like the exclusion of like a few handful of people have been villains. Like there's multiple episodes where their villain is just another agent. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And, um, yeah, like the military is probably even more demonized than the FBI. Yeah. There's no freaking way you could do that now. (laughs) Yeah. You can (laughs) never do that. Yeah. I mean, part of it is because if you tried to make a show like X-Files now, um, that you'd probably be approached by like the FBI or CIA and be like, Hey, you know, we, uh, can let you film in our facilities if you want to add a touch of realism and it'll be free for you to really cut costs, make it more realistic. But we have to uh, look at the scripts first. Oh, like that happens all the time. I mean, I think now like so, I feel like so much media, like so many movies and TV shows that like involve like any element of like the military or like, like, like Marvel movies, I feel like there's no way that the military or like government agencies aren't like, you know, working on those movies to some extent. Yeah, like um, how the it was like Captain Marvel or like, but it was like Miss Marvel, like some like superhero. I I don't really remember the movie, but do you know what I mean? Was that the one with Brie Larson? I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like. That movie is basically, like, a commercial for girls to join the Air Force. Yeah, exactly. And now they're making, like, a freaking Pinkerton movie. Oh, what's it going to be about? I think I might be mixing up my movies, but I feel like it might be a... It might be about, like, the origins of the Pinkertons or, like, girl Pinkertons. Oh, I remember the that like spy movie where it's all like women. That's a different movie. Oh. Yeah, see, I'm mixing up my movies, but like that's how many there are now. Oh, that is a different because they're CIA agents. In that yeah, movie. yeah, different they are. movie. Um, I just know it's um John Krasinski and Emily Blunt making the uh, Pinkerton movie. 
Oh, it is. It's about the first female Pinkerton. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, it's... I don't know if it'll be called Kate Warren, but that's who it's about. I I feel like universally... In American media, Pinkertons are rightfully demonized until now. Yeah! Like, the Pinkertons were, like, the main villains in Deadwood. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> and, the, and it's not even, it wasn't even from the perspective of, like, yeah, the Pinkertons, like, killed a bunch of striker, like, mining strikers and stuff like that. In Deadwood, it's even, like oh, they're just universally opposed to Pinkertons. Even, like, the people who would call Pinkertons on their workers, like, Al was, was like, opposed to them. Yeah. I mean, and then, like, think about, like, that with, like, X-Files 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Like, I, it's... Something really fucked up has, like, gone on in, like, the, like, American mind (laughs) to get to where we are right now. Yeah, well... Sorry, that was supposed... It was supposed to be light talking about the (laughs) X-Files. No, it's okay. (laughs) But, like, yeah, it makes me think, like, there was a thing called the Smith-Munt Act of 2012, I think, What that act did was basically make it okay for the CIA to distribute their propaganda in the U.S. And when it passed, they were like, oh, you know, this isn't actually a big deal. Don't worry about it. Um, This just means that they can um, release their propaganda newspapers in the U.S. But, like, you won't even see them. Like, they don't sell them in newspaper stands, so who cares? But it's like, I wonder how much that actually, like, changed. And then, but even if it didn't change much, it's like, it's not like the CIA, like, follows laws anyway. So (laughs) I, I think it all just kind of indicates an increased amount of government agencies bankrolling their own propaganda in Hollywood. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that honestly goes back to, like, what we were talking about, like, security and, like, the surveillance states. Like, there just is, like, a manufactured consent about that. Well, that seems like a good place to stop. Um... What do you want to plug before we go? Uh, oh, you know what? Follow me on Twitter at Bad Plant Mom. All right. Thank you. Um, so for the listener, my name is Christian. You can follow me personally on Twitter at Christian is cool. Is spelled I-Z, Christian I-Z cool. Or you can follow the show on Twitter at society underscore show. You can also find out all the information you need about the podcast at societyshow.net, including our voicemail line and an email address if you want to reach out to the show. And uh, I do want to announce that the Society Show has a YouTube channel, but I have not been uploading clips to it. I, I like did for the first dozen or so episodes and then stopped. So I'm going to try to get catched, caught up on that, upload some videos show, sh- slowly but surely getting caught up to the modern day. Um, so stay tuned for that. 
And um, with that, this has been The Society Show. And uh, Izzy, thanks again for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to The Society Show. <laughs> <laughs>